Well, I am excited to say that we begin today with nothing less than the approach of Independence Day. No, 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 not the movie. The 4th of July, you know, origin date of our nation and all that. Also, we begin with a faith question. Or is it a constitutional question? Could be either. I'm a little fuzzy on that one. I'll let you decide. We have a brief discussion who to talk about. And it may surprise you to discover that the answer is, well, the answer is no surprise at all. It's in the title. Did you not catch that? All on the way to answering the question, was Benjamin Franklin Christian? And why does it even matter? Welcome to the Sky Pilot Podcast that explores questions of faith, spirituality, and religion. I'm Dan Matthews, and I don't have all the answers, but I do enjoy the questions. Welcome to the podcast where every question is an invitation into a spiritual quest, and you're invited along for the journey. As we approach the 4th of July and the celebration of our nation's founding, I find myself reminded of the argument that we, the United States of America, were created from our inception as a Christian nation, and that as such, we need to remain faithful to our founding fathers' intent when they created our founding documents. So it seems to me that the obvious place to begin is that we should begin by looking at the spirituality and faith beliefs well, of these gentlemen, if we are set on discovering their intent, that is. But if I were to open up the discussion and focus on, say, all of them, I think we might get lost in the weeds. So let's pick one, at least to begin with. And if you enjoy this subject matter, I may very well do other podcast episodes in the future focusing on the faith of other famous leaders within the United States, but also maybe worldwide and throughout history. So it seems to me that upon first glance, the obvious founding father to talk about is George Washington. I mean, I don't know what is taught in school today, but when I was in grade school, probably all the way through middle school, even if someone had asked me or any of my classmates to name a founding father, I think the vast majority of us, maybe all of us, would have named George Washington. Interestingly, Alexander Hamilton might be the most likely to be named today simply because of the Broadway musical and how aware it has made people of his existence and participation. Now, although George Washington, as our first president, became the symbol of leadership of the early days of our nation, he really wasn't, well, he wasn't a founding father in the way that, say, Benjamin Franklin, Thomas Jefferson, John Adams, or Alexander Hamilton were. Although he certainly had a leadership role at the Constitutional Congress in 1787, he was not so much offering leadership a vision at the Congress, but instead as presiding officer who guided the process. He helped guide an often deeply divided group to come up with what is our Constitution. Interestingly, one could begin with asking this question. Should we focus on those who signed the Declaration of Independence or those who signed the newly created Constitution? Now, as I've said before in previous episodes of this podcast, my daughter is fond of asking me a particular question when I ask her to pick between two good choices, two desirable choices. And she says, por qué no los dos, which means, I don't speak Spanish, but means in a language that I speak and understand, why not both? So why don't we look at those who signed both the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution? As it turns out, there were only six people who signed both documents. Benjamin Franklin from Pennsylvania, George Reed from Delaware, Robert Sherman from Connecticut, Robert Morris from Pennsylvania, George Clymer from Pennsylvania, 
and James Wilson from Pennsylvania. So first and foremost, a shout out to Pennsylvania. They had four to sign both. I mean, there were only six who did so. Of course, I will say it is a lot easier when the convention is being held in your home state and for many of those involved in their own hometown as well. So as far as I'm concerned, there is one person who obviously jumps to the top of that list, and partly because, well, if you didn't notice, I literally put him at the top of that list, Benjamin Franklin. So let's start with him, and I'm going to talk a little bit about him. I'll tell you a little bit about his history. Benjamin Franklin was born in Boston in 1706. His parents were Calvinists, and his father had dreams of his son, Ben, who was one of 17 children going off to be trained at Harvard as a clergyman. Unfortunately, or fortunately, depending on whether you asked Ben or his father, it was not to be due to financial constraints. Did I mention he was one of 17 kids? Evidently, he was very bright and a voracious reader. Since they couldn't afford for him to attend seminary, it was decided that he should be apprenticed to his older brother who owned a printing company and had started a newspaper. Also, interestingly, just as a footnote, his formal education stopped at age 10. That's really remarkable for all the things he achieved in his life. His father was concerned that Ben's I call him Ben, not out of familiarity, but because everyone in the story at this point, his brother, him, his father, they're all Franklins. But his father was concerned that he was too liberal in his theological leanings and getting perilously close to being a deist. So his father gave him several tracts that had been written by a Calvinist to refute deism. Again, unfortunately or fortunately, depending on whether you asked father or son, the tracks backfired and thoroughly convinced young Ben Franklin that he was indeed a deist. Now, here's a fair question. All right, Dan, how do we know that? How do we know that he really was a deist and we aren't just assuming he was? Well, this is actually one where we can turn to his words, to his own autobiography, the words he wrote about himself. He says that after reading these, quote, in short, I soon became a thorough deist. So there we have it. Ben Franklin was a deist, so not a Christian. Well, hold on. We aren't quite done yet. You see, at its most basic level, deism is the belief in a creator God who created the universe and all of its natural laws and then refrains from further interaction. As I was taught in school, high school, deism is the watchmaker who creates the watch, winds it up, and then steps away and lets it continue to tick on its own, according to its own rule. Generally, deists don't see the point of something like prayer because they don't believe in the existence of revelation. God is not still actively involved in the affairs, not just of humanity, but it not actively involved at all in creation. So there can't be any revelation. If there can't be revelation or intervention, then what is the point of prayer? So there is one particular moment in the Constitutional Convention of 1787 that's really very interesting, very telling, and surprising, mostly because no one played the role that you might expect. There was a moment in the convention in which they were trying to work out the issue of representation. The debate was getting heated and, at times, downright ugly. So our friend Benjamin Franklin, the self-avowed deist, makes this suggestion. Prayer. Okay, but he's a deist. Did he really suggest prayer or did he just say something that we have later interpreted as suggesting prayer? 
Well, I'll let you decide. I'm going to read his exact words as written by someone else, not even by himself, but someone who was recording the proceedings. This is what Benjamin Franklin said. We shall be divided by our little, partial, local interests. Our projects will be confounded, and we ourselves shall become a reproach and a byword down to future ages. I therefore beg leave to move that henceforth prayers imploring the assistance of heaven and its blessing on our deliberations be held in this assembly every morning before we proceed to business, and that one or more of the clergy of this city be requested to officiate in that service. Okay, that's not ambiguous. He is suggesting prayer. And here's the really interesting part. Given that we were founded by Christians, I'm saying that is the theory, According to that theory, we are a nation deeply rooted in and connected to those Christian spiritual roots. This is clearly the moment in which our spiritual heritage should obviously shine through. I mean, even the deist guy was on board. So Roger Sherman seconded the motion. Alexander Hamilton, yes, that Alexander Hamilton, and a number of others, a bunch of other people, were against it. And after a bit of discussion, it was essentially tabled and never discussed again. The suggestion to begin meetings with prayer couldn't even muster enough support to be voted on. Okay, Dan, this is my issue. This story is not as helpful as you might think. The deist acts in a way that is inconsistent with deism. The people who are supposed to be Christian either fight against or just ignore the opportunity to support something as benign as prayer. I'm not sure this story offered any real clarity about the founding fathers of your nation. Exactly. You got the point. Look, anyone who claims to have an insight into the faith and intent of the founding fathers is making, according to me, dangerous generalizations and is probably trying to advance a cause rather than peer through at history with any sense of objectivity. So then, Dan, do you think you were created? America was created as a Christian nation. Well, no, I don't. And even if I'm wrong, I will be clear, I totally have an agenda here. So even if I'm wrong and we were founded as a Christian nation— we should undo that as quickly as possible. Now, you may ask, wait, if Christianity, real Christianity, could be the law of the land, why would you be against that? Well, aside from what that means to other faiths, other people of faith, which is, by the way, really important, but I will set that aside for a moment. Even if everyone in the United States is a Christian, absolutely everyone claimed Christianity as their faith, here's the question— Whose version of Christianity? Yes, while you are in power, you may think it right to institutionalize your beliefs, your version of Christianity. But, but what about when, when some others come to power? They're just going to do the same thing. So the idea of a Christian nation doesn't sound to me like it's based on Christianity. I mean, Jesus following Christianity, but it's simply a term for one group trying to force their beliefs on everyone else. And just for me, I hate it when that happens. So that's all for today. Franklin was a self-proclaimed deist and acted like one. Sometimes. And the U.S. is either a Christian nation started by a bunch of people who failed an obvious opportunity to ground their proceedings in faith, or maybe it isn't. You've heard what I think. Why don't you send me an email 
and tell me what you think. I'd love to hear from you, even if you disagree with me. Maybe especially if you disagree with me. Everybody agreeing can be so tiresome, don't you think? My email address is dan at skypilot, S-K-Y-P-I-L-O-T dot zone. That's dan at skypilot dot zone. And on your spiritual journey, may you ask questions, seek answers, and boldly go wherever the quest takes you. Thanks for listening to SkyPilot Faith Quest. I invite you to send me a question or leave a review. And remember, the sign of a strong faith, solid religion, or healthy spiritual journey is not certainty, but that you keep asking questions. <laughs>